0: Grassley has a show called Prehistoric Road Trip where she travels all around the country looking at stuff that's been there for millions and millions and millions. Did I mention millions of years? And what's that really old stuff? Dinosaur fossils? Emily told us about the Cretaceous Paleogene extinction event. Whoa. That is a fancy name for the day when an asteroid hit the Earth and dinosaurs were wiped out. So here's Emily looking at a rock with layers that actually show when that giant extinction event happened. Dinos. Asteroid impact. Really bad day. No dinos. We dig into... When dinosaurs roamed the Earth. And when they went... Poof! On this episode of... Explorers, Explorers Club. Club! When did you start to love fossils?
1: Oh, there's a picture of me on my third birthday um, unwrapping a T-Rex toy from the Jurassic Park series, and I am stoked. I have <laughs> such, like, a jazzed dino face on. Um, so I, I grew up with surrounded by the idea of dinosaurs. Um Sue, the T-Rex, the most complete tyrannosaurus Rex skeleton ever found, was found on my dad's neighbor's ranch, uh, outside of Faith, South Dakota. So growing up, um, I watched the news stories. I followed the tale of this amazing fossil find leaving South Dakota, finding its way to Chicago at the Field Museum. Um but it's Sue Sue was actually your
0: neighbor in a way.
1: <laughs> yeah, Sue was my neighbor. So, yeah, I've, been, I've worked at the Field Museum uh, in Chicago for the last seven years. And uh, right even before I, I came out to Chicago, I knew about this amazing dinosaur and I felt this strong connection to it. and. Um, it would, you know, my grandfather was still alive when I was hired at the museum and he was really the, the super dino nerd of the family. I, I studied art in college and I painted a portrait of him sitting with Sue the T-Rex. So this was like years before I worked at the museum. And, uh, when I got hired at the museum, I told my grandpa, they brought me on to make sure that somebody would always from South Dakota would always be taking uh, a look after Sue. for him.
0: <laughs> So, Emily, what is the story of Sue the T-Rex? What was life like for Sue? Can we learn that through Sue's fossils?
1: Oh, absolutely! Um, and even more from just looking at Sue's fossils, we can look at all the fossils that were found with Sue. So, um, we know from studying Sue's remains and from studying the the other rocks and sediments and fossils that were collected with Sue that um, Sue was alive at the very end of what we call the Mesozoic period. So the Mesozoic period includes the Triassic period, the Jurassic period, and the Cretaceous period. And those are sort of the three iconic um, ages of the dinosaurs. And T-Rex, which the tyrant lizard king is what Tyrannosaurus rex means, um, was alive right at the end of the Mesozoic period before this fateful asteroid came and, and collided with the Yucatan of Mexico 66 million years ago and wiped out most all dinosaurs, except for the ones that went on to become birds. Um, but there's so many s- things that we've learned by studying Sue's skeleton. You know, we know, for instance, things like how big the dinosaur got. Um, Ooh, how, know- big,
0: how big did Sue get?
1: Sue is, I
0: believe,
1: 13 No, it's, I think, 42 feet from tip to tail. I can't exactly remember. That's a Mm. great question. It's too early for math this morning. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so large dinosaur. Very um, large
0: dinosaur. Very strong, strong bite, strong teeth, I would imagine.
1: Yes, huge bite force. Some of Sue's teeth are, um, we call them, uh, like, banana daggers. They're the size and shape of bananas. They're absolutely massive. Um, But there's so much else that we've learned from, like, the, you know, fossil clams that are found alongside T-Rex or the other fragments of bones from turtles and crocodiles. Um, You begin to understand that this was kind of a swampy environment. This was a wet area. Um, Sioux. Uh, you know, the climate was very different. It would have been quite a bit warmer, too. It doesn't look much like what South Dakota looks like there today.
0: Well, Emily, let's take a call now. Evelyn is joining us from Hammond. Hi, Evelyn. Hi. Hi. What's on your mind about dinosaurs? I'd like to know how they came to be. Ooh, how did dinosaurs come to be?
1: Oh, that's a really good question. That's a really hard question to answer, and there are lots of scientists today that are still trying to figure this out. Um, but dinosaurs came to be a really, really long time ago, at the beginning of the Triassic period, and we find their fossils in places like Africa. Uh, there, there are different places in Tanzania and Kenya where early, early dinosaur fossils are found, um, but. You know they they evolved a really long time ago, and um, the first dinosaurs actually uh, kind of looked like uh, crocodiles. but if crocodiles could run like a dog, um, and so you had these um, kind of scrappy animals that looked very different than anything alive today and and the first dinosaurs went on to you know turn into everything from the largest terrestrial animal to ever walk the earth, like the big brontosaurs or the big sauropods, you know, the long neck dinosaurs, um, everything from them to T to Rex over a period of about 140 million years. Um, and even today, you know, we, we mentioned birds are dinosaurs, and those are the, the living descendants of, of some of the dinosaurs that were still living at the end of the Cretaceous.
0: Evelyn, do you have a favorite dinosaur? Yep, Tyrannosaurus rex. (laughs) What do you like about T-Rex? Because he's so scary. That's true. (laughs) You know, I wonder, Emily, did dinosaurs scare each other just by their size and the features on their body? I'm sure they probably did.
1: Uh, You know, I think if you were a Triceratops living at the same time as T-Rex you would probably spend a great amount of your time trying to avoid them uh, because they were, you know, the largest predator that ever walked the earth um, and they could run really fast. T-Rex had a great sense of smell. And there's even some researchers who believe that T-Rex, they they traveled or hunted in packs um, like hyenas. So that's a pretty terrifying mental mm-hmm. image.
0: Oh, like a stampede. Wouldn't that be scary? What, mm-hmm. a, what about the dinosaurs that could fly? Can you tell us about those?
1: Yeah. We know from uh, dinosaurs that are, uh, or fossils preserved in amber, you know, we've, we've been able to look at um, how feathers evolved over long periods of time, too. And so the first flying dinosaurs, you know, they might have had teeth like we don't see birds having today. Um, they probably had talons and claws to help them climb up trees. They might have even had claws on their wings to help them climbing up trees. Um, and and so that's kind of how we see the evolution of flight progress. Because you got to start from somewhere, right? If you've got mm-hmm. a baby bird uh, learning how to fly, they're pretty awkward. Well, that probably went on for a couple, you know, million years uh, before they were able to fully grow their wings.
0: Can you take us to the KT boundary and what that is?
1: Yeah, so the KT boundary or the KPG boundary um, is a geologic signature that you can find in rocks of, of that age. We're looking at about 66 million year old rock formations. And this is a physical geologic signature that geologists refer to as kind of the day the dinosaurs died. And what's unique about the KT PG boundary is that um, it's a geologic layer that is full of an element called iridium. And iridium is a common element found in space rocks like asteroids, meteorites, that kind of thing, but isn't very common uh, found on, on the surface of the earth. And so it was a couple of researchers back in the 80s were in Italy, I think was one of the first places that they found This boundary line with a lot of iridium and and these researchers were wondering what would have caused this, what would have deposited all this iridium from everywhere from North Dakota to Italy, you know, it's covering the entire Earth. And it was one of the big clues that led researchers to realize that it, it, it was linked with an asteroid impact um, and then the, f- the next thing they had to go find was evidence of the ar- impact itself, and that's when researchers found this gigantic crater in the Yucatan Peninsula of Mexico, uh, which was the appropriate age, size, diameter, um, and had rocks that you could uh, trace all the way from that part of Mexico all the way up into North America and into the United States, um, where this asteroid would have hit the Yucatan Peninsula, and then sprayed rocks from that area all over um, as far as they could reach for hundreds and hundreds of miles. It was a pretty big impact.
0: So scientists are feeling pretty confident about this theory that it is an asteroid that wiped out the dinosaurs.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and there are other um, researchers and paleontologists who are looking at different aspects of the environment, too. Um, Because there is a question, well, did the asteroid impact? Is that 100% responsible for wiping out the dinosaurs? Or maybe the dinosaurs, maybe they were already kind of on the decline. Um, There's some researchers who are studying huge super volcano events in places like India. So there's a time where India just was like erupting with volcanoes for like hundreds of thousands of years for a really long time. Um, And so maybe all of those volcanic eruptions contributed to it. So we're learning new things about the extinction event of the dinosaurs all the time.
0: Well, Emily, I want to ask you about, in Nebraska, the Agate Fossil Beds National Monument. And you found these long vertical spiral towers embedded in the rock. What Mm -hmm. are those?
1: What I think is really interesting about them is for a long time, researchers didn't quite know what they were. Uh, They're very unusual. They're kind of symmetrical in a way. Like they, they look like they were created by something. Um, But the the settlers couldn't figure out what they were. And so they called them the devil's corkscrew. And uh, it wasn't until a graduate student um, was studying them and had a rock hammer and dropped the the rock hammer on one of these spirals, it cracked open, and they found the fossil remains of an ancient land beaver uh, that was had been living inside of the burrow. Which, <laughs> <laughs> right, uh, which led these researchers to realize that these burrows were caused by um, animals that behaved a little bit like how prairie dogs behave today, you know, ground squirrels that create these networks of underground caves um, <laughs> and systems. And, and that's what these land beavers were doing before beavers lived in the water. You know, this was, this was a different kind of beaver.
0: In you know, you um, have also looked at microfossils and what scientists are learning about extinction from studying microfossils. Those must be extremely small.
1: They are. They're so small, you need to, to a, microscope, a, a microscope to look at them. So the microfossils that researchers study from these kind of deposits are things like teeth. They're the hardest part of the body. They preserve really well. And you can learn a lot from looking at a tooth. How about dinosaur eggs? What can we learn from dinosaur eggs? Oh, you can learn amazing things. For one, you can learn, um, you know, how large they were when they were hatched. Um, you can learn about uh, sort of the makeup of the eggs. You know, we think about eggs. Are, are they like chicken eggs or are they like lizard eggs? And I think they were a little more leathery. They were kind of like sea turtle eggs. Um, and and the size question is really important too, because if you know how large uh, an animal is when it hatches and you know how large it is when it dies, you can do the kind of work that they do at the Museum of the Rockies, which is called paleohistology, uh, where essentially they look at the inside of these dinosaur bones and uh, by looking at the cellular structure that's still preserved within the fossil bones, they can get an idea of how quickly these animals grew. And that those questions really inform a lot of different things about the animal. Like if we know that a sauropod, like an apatosaurus, is about the size of a cantaloupe when it's hatched, and 20 years later it's 120 feet long, well, that gives you a rate of growth. You know, I'm 30 years old and I'm only five foot eight. So you kind of learn that, you know, there's a certain cap of how big a human can be. Um, and you can track, you know, how quickly people grow uh, on average. And you can do the same thing with dinosaurs.
0: We have another question. Jane is calling from Madison. Hi, Jane. Hello. Um, my question had to
1: do with, is are there birds today that we can kind of imagine how dinosaurs moved when dinosaurs were alive? I was thinking of... Sometimes when I see turkeys walking on the ground, I wonder that movement of the way the head moves and the body moves. And then I just, while I was waiting, I thought, look, pelicans, um, the way they look. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, this is actually one of my favorite studies I've ever seen. Um, The researchers had the same question. Can we learn about dinosaur movement by studying living birds today? And we can. And one of the ways that... um, that these researchers tracked the gait of uh, an animal is that they attached a plunger, a toilet plunger, to the butt of a chicken. And you can, if you Google chicken plunger dinosaur walk, you can find YouTube videos of this chicken with a plunger on its butt. And the reason that they put the plunger there is um, they wanted to simulate the kind of tail that a T-Rex would have. And so you can watch this chicken walking And it stalks like you could imagine a T-Rex would walk. It's really fascinating.
0: Oh, wow. And so they were trying to put a feature on the chicken so that it would more closely resemble what the dinosaur looked like to see what it might, how that, how it might walk.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, if you've got something hanging off your back end, that's going to create, it's going to create a counterbalance and it's going to change the way that you walk and move forward. Um, and so that's what they were interested in, in studying. And the way they achieved that is by putting a plunger on a chicken.
0: Isn't it amazing, though, that in the movies we watch about dinosaurs, we really interpret how dinosaurs move based on what we see on a big screen?
1: Yeah, or just, you know, a, a lot of those researchers, when they're making those artistic decisions um, for movies, they, they go to Zeus. They observe a lot of animals. Um, mm. If you look at an a animal like a, an ostrich or an emu. um, They look really prehistoric. You you look at the, you know, shape and the scaly features of their legs and their feet, and and you can start to imagine, you know, the different features of of what an animal like a T-Rex might have looked like.
0: Emily, what was that like for you to be alongside paleontologists all day digging for fossils? What are they like? What do they talk about as they're digging? You know, what's that like to be on the ground?
1: Oh, I had a wonderful time with all of our filming partners. Uh, I think one of the things that I, I love the most about it is that it's such a collaborative team building event. Um, you know, we were out in uh, the northern part of Montana where, um, to find a triceratops skull. And triceratops were huge animals, absolutely massive, you know, the size of SUVs. And it requires a lot of help to get everybody in there in this quarry and removing all of the overburden and rely on everybody um, pitching in. And we had such a sense of community and collaboration. I I really thought that was unique about this kind of field work, sharing ideas, um, picking away, you know, the matrix of rock around from the skull of this animal and then gradually together revealing the face of a creature that hasn't been seen for 66 million years. It's Mm -hmm. amazing.
0: I would imagine you have to be so careful and detail oriented. How do you do this work and not damage these ancient fossils?
1: Well, that can be hard, especially when you don't know exactly where everything is. You know, you're you might accidentally, um, you know, hit a fossil with your with your hammer. Um, but they, that's why they invented glue. You know, Uh, we, (laughs) we came across that time and again, especially with really fragile fossils, like the two dimensional ones we found, um, in the, in the bear gulch of Montana, these are ancient fish fossils. They're really flat like pancakes and it's really, they're so fragile. It's really easy. You could just bust one in half if you're not careful. But the researcher we with, uh, Eileen Grogan, she told us, you know, this is why they have glue. We can put it back together. We can, we can still learn useful things from it.
0: So, Emily, you visited the Mammoth Site in South Dakota, which has a ton of woolly mammoth fossils. What is it like there? Oh,
1: the Mammoth Site is fascinating. The, they were develop- There's a housing development that was being constructed in Hot Springs, South Dakota, and the um, heavy machinery operator um, was <laughs> removing some of the overburden and found this mammoth tusk and uh, or mammoth bones and called in these paleontologists and they thought that they were just going to work there for a summer or so and two summers later they couldn't stop finding new mammoth bones and so eventually they built a physical museum structure over this excavation site and uh, they're still digging it out today that was that was 35 years ago.
0: Oh my goodness how many have they accumulated so far? They've found
1: I think over 120 tusks And so if you imagine an animal, each animal has two tusks, it's about 60 individuals or more of mammoths and and mastodons.
0: Wow. And so they were just roaming around. What were they doing?
1: They were living their best life. They were eating shrubs and tubers (laughs) uh, in the, in the Black Hills of South Dakota, a hundred thousand years ago. And eventually they came across a seemingly placid body of water. They thought, wow, this looks really nice. I'm just going to go in for a Quick drink and a swim, and then they they walked into this um, le- lake area that was a, a huge well with really steep, slick sides. And once they walked into it, they couldn't get out. Mm. So unfortunately, over you know tens of thousands of years, many many mammoths that made the same mistake and uh, ended up dying and, and getting you know sinking to the bottom, getting buried and becoming
0: fossilized. Emily, in the final episode, you traveled to Wyoming to learn about a climate change event. What happened?
1: Uh we were out with a group from the uh, Labrea Tar and the University of Wyoming and the U.S. Geological Survey. Um, these paleobotanists—they study fossil plants—and they're studying fossil plants from a, a time called the Paleocene-Eocene Thermal Maximum, or PETM. It's it's a really long name. Paleocene but essentially
0: this- Eocene Thermal Maximum. So we can just say yes. PETM. Yeah, the
1: PETM. Okay. Um, and this is uh, an event that it, you can find in the fossil record that represents a period of time when there was a huge spike of greenhouse gases in the environment caused by, they believe, seafloor volcanic eruptions. So there was a lot of rifting of the of the seafloor tectonic plate movement, which released a lot of underwater uh, volcanic explosions that released a bunch of methane and other, other carbon dioxide, other greenhouse gases. And over a period of about 10,000 years, this completely changed the atmospheric composition and, and the climate of our world. And the reason why researchers today are so interested in studying um, the cause of the PETM as well as the impact and sort of the result of the PETM is because it's the best analogy we have for understanding today's human-caused climate change. So during the PETM, there was a huge amount of, I, like I said, greenhouse gases emitted, and we're releasing the same amount of greenhouse gases but at 100 times the same rate, mm. to 100 times faster than was emitted during the PETM. And so there's a real sense of urgency to try and understand, like how do systems, how do environments, how do organisms respond um, to these rapid changes in their environment, and and can we respond as quickly too?
0: Emily, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. The Explorers Club is brought to you by Wisconsin Public Radio. I'm your host, Kate Archer-Kent. This podcast was produced by Colleen Leahy and Brad Kohlberg. Carl Christensen wrote our music. Our executive producer is Molly Stentz. Do you like this episode? Let us know. We're at kids at WPR.org. You can find more episodes at WPR.org slash kids and wherever you get your podcasts. Bye-bye. Goodbye. You want to know about dinosaurs? That's fine, of course, I've got
1: time to source My knowledge on the matter to you all Dinosaurs are awesome! I'm not an expert, in truth I only saw some pictures in the book But I had a good look, I didn't bother with the words So it probably only took three minutes Despite the bits I missed, I got the gist Relax on my dinosaur facts attack you like a fist about a hundred years ago, in the days of Jesus and Shakespeare and Moses, dinosaurs roamed this planet with one cause to walk around being dinosaurs. They
0: first came to life.